anybody there? It seems I'm all alone again. Does anybody care? This planet's empty. I see no signs of life. Please don't tell me that the human race did not survive. There are no people in the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Hey everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. Yes, it is Friday, June 9th, 2023. Welcome to Raging Chickens Friday Politics Roundup. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Each week we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state national politics. You can help support the show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress today. And you can help out the show now by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. And leave us a comment to let other folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help other people find the show. Oh boy, and uh, it's becoming clearer by the day that why we cannot let Paul Martino, Moms for Liberty, and their oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Level Field to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're pushing, we're put it pushing, yeah, putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money, you get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. And look for, especially patrons, uh, look for the uh, upcoming link to a discussion about um, the uh, on this pack um, and some strategy, strategies around it. And that'll be available to patrons and patreon.com slash rcpress. On today's show, yes, Donald Trump has officially been indicted again in federal court on seven criminal accounts let the circus begin again <laughs> yes exactly yes cable news is absolutely going up crazy 24 7 like you know court watching let's look for people walking on the stairs and let's talk to people um who are going to tell us about what they think might happen even though it's we don't know what's going to happen um and whatever you know uh, crazy well, this week, as you could hear my voice already, um, and not to mention the uh, awesome time last night at the uh, uh, Penridge Democrats fundraiser, um, but also, uh, more importantly, smoke from wildfires across Canada has blanketed much of the East Coast this week. The air quality index showed hazardous amounts of particulate matter in the air. The skies turned orange and yellow like a scene out of Blade Runner 2049. Welcome to our climate future today. And in a surprise decision, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the provision, a provision of the Voting Rights Act, um, in a case in Alabama involving racial gerrymandering. It was a real surprise. People, uh, you know, remember John Roberts uh, was the one who gutted the Voting Rights Act and said, there's no racism anymore. We've moved past that. Now he's seeing, a, well, I'm not so sure. Even Brett Kavanaugh joined with uh, the uh, three, quote unquote, liberal justices, um, and John Roberts writing in the majority um, to basically say, yep, Alabama, 
Yep, still racist. <laughs> still drawing racial, uh, kind of racist voting districts. Yep. Um, so that was uh, a surprise and positive um, development. But of course, the decisions left it open uh, for other racial gerrymandering under the spaces. So we'll see. And this week, 160,000 member SAG AFTRA, that's like the Screen Actors Guild, like actors and stuff. Uh, they voted uh, to authorize a strike ahead of their negotiations. 97.9% of the members voting approved that authorization. And this comes, of course, in the midst of the ongoing Writers Guild of America strike, which began on May 2nd. The Writers Guild of America strike, the WGA strike, is the largest job action in the television and film industry since COVID. Um, and it's the second largest in their history. Um, and, and this has been, uh, you know... Uh, groundbreaking in many ways, a WGA strike, and to have SAG-AFTRA kind of joining on this is going to be pretty amazing. Shireen, what's happening? Good morning. And a new scientific study finds that the summers in the Arctic Ocean may be ice-free by 2030. Yep, that's at about, about a decade sooner than previously thought, and that may be something that we're just not going to be able to change. Um, that even if uh, drastic measures somehow happen to curb the climate crisis that we are currently in, um, that will not um, happen quickly enough to prevent the ice-free Arctic, which is going to cause problems of its own. And a new report in ProPublica finds that more than 600,000 people are already living outside of a crucial climate niche. And climate change is on track. Climate change is on track to displace more than one-third of humanity in the coming decades. A little closer to home here in Pennsylvania, a full-scale dumpster fire that is the Penridge School Board was on full display Wednesday. This is after switching the meeting several times for the week's scheduled committee meetings, a last-minute Zoom meeting showed once again how utterly dysfunctional and disastrous the Republican-controlled board truly is. The scheduled appearance of Vermilion Education's Jordan Adams, you know that guy from Hillsdale College pushing Christian nationalism, that dude, well, he was supposed to come there, right, which is there was a lot of interest in it, there was over 300 people trying to get to this meeting, right? Well, you know, it was postponed to a date only that Megan Bannis Clemens and her Red Wizards of Thay <laughs> know when that's going to happen at this point. Meanwhile, Jordan Adams even kind of took to Twitter to do a little two-step about the, uh, the cancellation of the meeting at the last time. But we're going to play you a little sound from that meeting last night uh, or on Wednesday night that was just, uh, uh, I, I, I don't even... Uh, I, I just can't believe, I, I, well, can I believe it? Yes, of course I can believe it, but it just shows you how utterly insane um, things have gotten here in the Penridge School District. Whew. Workers at the Museum of the American Revolution are demanding that the museum leadership cancel a planned Bombs for Liberty event at the museum ahead of the extremist group's convention in Philadelphia from June 29th through July 2nd. And speaking of Moms for Liberty, why I call them an extremist group? Well, that has to do with the fact that the Southern Poverty Law Center has added the group to its list of hate groups and anti-government extremists. And a little place, this is kind of a little uh, little south of us here in Buffs County, it's down in West Ch or Chester County, the Valley Forge Classical Academy. Now, we've seen lots of these things happening kind of nationwide, right? It's part of that kind of movement. They call something a classical cat academy. Generally, what that means is that they're looking to push a curriculum that is similar to what we saw from Hillsdale College, this kind of Christian nationalist curriculum. Um, I'm just spacing the name of the other group that was um, um, pushing these kind of curriculum we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, but anyways, there's one of these um, new charter schools that is kind of uh, um, coming out in Chester County. 
right? And it's built on that kind of Christian nationalist curriculum. Well, turns out they're using a fictitious social media account called Becky Homecky, right? Basically to cause division, promote hate, and promote the uh, and promote the VC, uh, the VFCA, the Valley Forge. Uh, classical academy i'll keep on call it christian academy but i'm you know they use classical instead of christian so that uh they can still qualify for some kind of public funds i guess and as i mentioned a little bit at the top of the show uh had a great time last night the penridge democrats trivia trivia night um was a fundraiser was being held at free will brewing and i'll say at the top of the show congratulations to the rainbow unicorn for taking home the trophy um they kind of knocked it out of the park with the trivia um, had a great time. Got a, got a. It was awesome to actually, you know, put some uh, uh, faces to names, or actually to see people in real life as opposed to online. Um, kind of talk to folks there, hearing what's going on. Talk to some of the upcoming school board candidates. Um, great time. Uh, congratulations to everyone who put on an amazing event. Um, Don Curran and the crew to uh, for organizing such an awesome time, and to the folks at Free Will Brewing who just. Uh, and uh, just you know, I haven't haven't been haven't had some beer in a while, right? Just for a bunch of reasons, but holy crap, this stuff is so good. Uh, I love that place. Um, so, congrats to all the folks there. I look for more PA Progressive Talk. Tune in to the Rick Smith Show's live stream at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you get your streams. Subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Head on over to the RickSmithShow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind his podcast, Rock the House. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. If you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast from the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor-in-chief, Cyril Michaleko, and produced by yours truly. Twice a month, the signal will shine a light on the right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Cyril invites guests to provide insight, analysis, organizing solutions so that we can steer the community towards calmer, saner, progressive roots. Check them out at thebuckscountybeacon.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you leave them a review. Five stars. For all you gamers out there, the Game Inn is a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. Friends of the show, and they've got everything from Retro N64s, latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. And kids get discounts on the days of the report card at the end of the school year. So now you're just going to have to wait to get that discount for good grades until, you know, later on, I guess. Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at, at the Game Inn. That's with two N's. Got a question about a game, look for something hard to get, shoot me a message or drop them an email at thegamenpa at gmail.com. A shout out goes to Jonathan Mann, wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Day Man. That's with two N's, that's at Song of Day Man on Twitter. And coming up on Out to Coop Live this Monday, uh, June 12th at 7 p.m., I welcome Allie Shaw back to the show to talk about her new report. The American Petroleum Institute loves Pennsylvania as its lobbying shows. Allie is a Pittsburgh-based research analyst working for the state power mapping program at the grassroots watchdog group Little Sis. Remember, we had her on uh, last year, maybe not quite a year ago, um, but um, we had her on uh, in 2022, but like that, to talk about um, the report that she did on the Jeffrey Yass money. Um, she's fantastic, and I'm looking forward to that conversation. And if you missed my interview with Eleanor Goldfield this past Monday, don't miss it. Seriously, get back there, check it out. Um, all is available on our uh, podcast and on our YouTube page. It's going to be a good one. 
Look, everybody, if we want a progressive future, we need progressive media. Support Pull No Punch's homegrown progressive media today by becoming a patron of Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. We're here for the fight, but we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media in the movement and the movement in the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month by going to patreon.com slash rcpress today. Fantastic, everybody. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome, Emily. Welcome, Shireen. Uh, we're currently in the chat right now, which is fantastic. Um, love to hear what's on your mind. Love to hear uh, things that are happening in kind of your neck of the woods, too, uh, if you got something you want to throw in. Um, uh, yes, Emily says, nice to be able to breathe again. Yeah, I mean, the air was horrendous uh, this past week, as we know from the Canadian wildfires. Um, it's, you know, it's... It's just remarkable. You know, I mean, I remember, I'm sure that most of the people around here uh, who are listening to the show remember the uh, California wildfires a couple of years ago. We actually got a day or two of that same kind of orange haze um, in the air. Uh, the difference, of course, being um, it seemed, if I recall, like if I, my, my memory serves right, that the uh, we got the orange haze, but we didn't get the, the levels of particulate matter that we've got right right now, still today. Right. But at least it's, you know, the sky is relatively clear. Um, you know, my kids came home coughing. Right. The cough is still with us. You know, um, I know this was true. Talking to some people last night. Uh, I can still feel it in my voice. And, you know, I've been I, I, I didn't realize how bad it was getting. And uh, before we actually had. Um, before it got super bad, like really Bucks County, at one point um, was it Thursday night. Um, Bucks County up to the Lehigh Valley and Allentown area, right? There was this, this area of purple, which is kind of on these uh, air quality index maps. Um, it was the worst kind of in North America, <laughs> right? So we were really in the thick of it. Um, and the day ahead of that, I had spent most of Tuesday. Um, so I guess maybe that was Wednesday night. I'm forgetting which, you know, where the days are blurring. I guess it was Wednesday night. Yeah, that was so bad. Um, because Tuesday during the day I had been doing, I spent the entire day outside doing yard work and, uh, you know, I just thought it was kind of allergies. I just wasn't putting two and two together. And, um, so that's, that, that stayed with me all week, but, uh, Wednesday was truly horrific. And, you know, like I've said, kids are coming home. They all had, you know, their t-shirts up over their noses, not just my kids, but all the kids getting off the bus. It was so bad. Um, but you know, it's, this is kind of what people have been talking about, what scientists, what climate activists, what, you know, um, just sane people who are paying attention to what's happening to our climate have been, you know, warning, this is going to be happening more frequent. So, um, I, I mean, just having a little taste of it, you know, and, you know, Chris Hayes, I caught this a tweet that he made the other day. He said, you know, there was a time when he thought that you'd have event like this, right? This kind of, you know, these kind of wildfires burning throughout like Canada, right? You know, which you, you don't associate with wildfires the same way, you know, not that they don't have wildfires, but these are just historic. Um, the incredible dryness and all this, he's, you know, I usually this is the kind of event would wake people up and shake them into, into kind of action to change things to be enough to change at least kind of the political culture. And he said, you know, after COVID, um, you know, million plus people dead um, thought that that would be it. And just to watch people just, you know, and by I mean people, I don't mean all of us who are listening to this show right now, but I mean, see the media, see politicians basically, you know, jerk it off. It's pretty crazy. Um, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. 
Um, but yeah, so uh, Shireen said, yeah, the show with Eleanor is inspiring. I, I wanted to have, I wanted, I have wanted to do a pop-up street theater for years. Uh, and you both demonstrated urgency of such access. Absolutely, Shireen. Uh, you know, her work is just amazing. And I, you know, it's funny because I, I was, I, I've read a couple pieces by her and I read this one in Truth Out, which we talked about on the show, which had to do with the arrest of these two journalists down in uh, Asheville, North Carolina, and some of the free speech issues that are raised from that uh, by in that case. Um, and that's why I wanted to initially have her on. And as I was just kind of doing, getting her bio stuff together and things, and uh, I was like, man, I, I seem to remember her. And then I found out, yeah, she was, uh, she was the lead of this band called Rooftop Revolutionaries, which I remember during the Occupy movement, right? And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that. And then she does a show with Lee Camp. And Lee Camp was also um, someone who I connected with uh, during the Occupy movement too as well. I've got one of his CDs of his comedy and stuff at that, you know, signed copy of that back from back then. So it was just kind of this interesting uh, kind of moment. And what I find so really heartening and interesting about her work um, is, yes, the kind of criticality of what we saw in her writing and stuff and her journalism, um, but this, this, this kind of thinking about art you know, thinking about art and the space of art and performance how, and how that has a, a part of a movement, right? I mean, part of not just a movement, but the kind of cultural shift that we need um, to help bolster, um, you know, more kind of political change. Um, but it's that kind of adds to this kind of cultural level. So it was just kind of really, that was a great conversation. And we went uh, well beyond the, uh, the confines of, of her article and truth out. Um, but um, it was, it, it was just a great conversation. So I encourage everybody to check it out uh, if you haven't already. Um, yes, Emily, I'm with you. I was amazed at the SCOTUS decision on the Alabama's gerrymandering. Uh, yeah. Why don't we start there before we get to that? I mean, that was, um, uh, that was a fascinating kind of move. And so here's, this is just for those of you who have not been following it super closely, um, I'll read, here's a little bit from, the, uh, from NPR on this. Um, so the U.S. Supreme Court voted on Thursday. Um, it kind of basically moved back, moved away from kind of completely gutting the Voting Rights Act. So basically this case in Alabama was about this kind of redistricting that took place that was, you know, going to uh, kind of create only um, one kind of kind of black district, basically, right? So, um, and I think there's currently several. But here, so let me just read a little bit of this. So, by a five to four vote, a coalition of conservative and liberal justices reaffirmed the court's 1986 precedent, um, precedent interpreting how legislative districts must be drawn under a landmark Voting Rights Act, as amended in 1982. The court said that in Alabama, a state where there are seven congressional seats and one in four voters is black, the Republican-dominated state legislature had denied African-American voters a reasonable chance to elect a second representative of their choice. The decision could reverberate across other states with reconsideration of how congressional lines are drawn in areas with significant black populations. Chief Justice John Roberts, who authored or joined um, prior decisions that gutted key parts of the voting rights law, on Thursday wrote for the court majority to preserve the way the voting rights law has been applied in nearly 40 years in redistricting cases. He was joined also by, by Brett Kavanaugh and the justices three, uh, uh, the three liberal justices, uh, Sonia Sotomayor, Alina Kagan, and uh, Kanjanji Brown-Jackson. 
Well, given this court's recent record on the Voting Rights Act, this is a welcome and, uns- and surprising, said UCLA law, suppress- uh, law uh, professor Richard Hansen, who has written extensively about election law. So here was a part. At issue was the case was Alabama's congressional redistricting plan adopted after the 2020 census. The Republican-dominated legislature drew new district lines that pack large numbers of black voters into one congressional um, district and then spread out the remaining black population in other districts so black voters had little chance of electing a second representative of their choice in a ro- racially polarized state. So that's the kind of thing we had. Now, we know that, you know, after the 2020 election, um, that was, you know, um, like another opportunity because you know, the census comes through, they have to do redistricting. And this was the second time round. Of course, the last time that uh, Republicans did the redistricting in 2010, um, you know, everyone, everyone, you know, kind of left of the right wing of the uh, Republican Party was caught flat footed um, with their kind of red map program, um, which was a conscient, a conscious um, effort to um, win. You know, this is on the with the Tea Party and everything like this to um, take over the House, right, take over state houses and then use that census um, as a way to redistrict um, the, the states to ensure a kind of majority minority rule, right? And minority being kind of like Republicans, <laughs> right? And so, um, and that's been, I mean, we've talked about that a lot in the show over the years. And this was another example of um, this, uh, the same kind of attempt that was going to be made to further restrict um, the voting impact, right, of any individual, right, in particular black voters, right? Um, so, uh, People had thought, I think a lot of folks had thought, um, and maybe this was, well, no, I'm going to say a lot of people had thought that going into this, given the given this court, given the fact that John Roberts was basically the one um, who uh, helped gut the Voting Rights Act, that, um, that this law was going to be upheld and was going to help cement a particular, a new doctrine about... Um, gerrymandering that would say that would make this kind of racial gerrymandering okay that's not what the supreme court did they said nope you can't do this right and i think really what the issue was is it was just too egregious right i mean like as as you're saying you know as you're saying here is that you've got um you know when you've got such large um a large voting population that's african-american um and then you're basically saying that, okay, you only get one representative, right? Um, or that, um, you know, despite the numbers of people that you have in the state, you know, you don't get the same kind of representation as white folks who live in rural areas, right? Um, so anyways, so that that was big, right? Um, what does it say was those numbers again here? Da, 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 da. Yeah, seven congressional seats and one in four voters is black. Republican-dominated state legislator had denied African-American voters reasonable chance to elect a second representative of their choice, right? So <clears throat> you have seven um, congressional seats, right? And then um, basically the way that things were redistricted, only one of those seats, so one out of seven, would be um, kind of a, a black representative would have even a shot, right, at getting elected, Right. So now they say, well, yeah, but that's, you know, that's one in seven as opposed to a population of one in four, right? And it was clear that areas that were kind of, you know, that were majority black, right, or had strong black representations were split up and spread out and diluted 
right, um, in these white districts. And then in other areas, they were just packed together, right? Um, so that would say you're going to pack all these people and uh, all these black folks in one district so they get their one representative, right, but we're going to make sure they don't get two. Um, so that's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. That's a good, that was a good, um, a good move um, in many ways. Um, of course, last night, the news was, uh, you know, we were, I was, like I've mentioned several times already, that I was at the uh, Penridge Democrats uh, fundraiser, their trivia night at Free Will Brewing last night, and the announcement came through um, when, uh, when the news dropped that Donald Trump has indeed uh, been indicted again in federal court. Um, and this is, you know, surrounding the uh, confidential documents that were um, taken um, to his Mar-a-Lago home, and then he lied about it, and so on. Um, as of the time I started the show this morning, we don't know exactly what is in that seven-count indictment. Um, but um, I, my guess is that we're going to know this pretty soon. Um, I was listening to some reporting on this, uh, the, like this morning, and um, what's likely to happen. I mean, Donald Trump is the reason why we all know that he's been indicted, right? The indictment has been sealed, but the reason why that we all know this is because Donald Trump went to his, you know, um, his platform, Truth Social and told everybody that he was being indicted. Um, and that's how we know about it, right? So there's going to, if this follows the pattern that he has followed in the past, what he's going to do, he's going to start telling a whole bunch of lies about what is happening. He's going to say that this is a witch hunt. He's going to say that, um, you know, these are the Biden coming after using the tools, uh, tools of the government to, you know, prosecute and go after, um, go after Trump. Um, we're going to, we're going to hear all this stuff and there's going to be a series of lies that are basically going to put pressure upon the justice department to basically release the indictment. Already there's some news media organizations who are asking for that the indictment of uh, the indictment of the court documents be released um, as a way of basically preventing, well, one, making a case that the journalists are making the case that this is in the public interest to know what's going on, right? Especially if you're talking about a former president that the public has a right to know, right? This kind of stuff. Um, there's other folks that are basically saying in the legal community say, yeah, you know, this is going to be increasingly difficult for Justice Department not to um, release the indictment just as a matter of um, combating the uh, the lies that are coming out of the Trump camp. Um, so we shall see. Um, but, you know, I mean, this is going to proceed and this is how it's going to proceed. And we're going to we're going to see the circus and. We're going to watch cable media even, you know, go after this even more and pay less attention to the kind of things that matter. We're going to get more, I mean, we're going to get more attention towards Trump and less about the wildfires and about the climate impact and those kind of discussions. We're going to go for the, you know, uh, they're going to go for the, you know, the cheap trick as opposed to, um, you know, the coverage of the work that's going on. I mean, if you think about it, right, you've got, you know, I, I mentioned this already, you've got um, uh, SAG-AFTRA, right, the Screen Actors Guild and stuff that basically voted yeah, we're going to go ahead. We, we're all ready to strike um, if negotiations go south, right? They're doing this ahead of time, not waiting till things get bad and then kind of have a strike authorization. Nope, they're letting the letting the other side know right at, right from the right from the get go that this is what's going to happen. That they will strike if they're not going to bargain in good faith, right? Which I think is awesome. That's what you should do. Um, frankly, I wish that something that my union would do, but <clears throat> that's a whole other story for another day. Um, so, you know, I mean, imagine the coverage of this, right? This is one of the most significant um, um, kind of strikes that we're seeing, right? After this kind of major shift in uh, what's happening in the kind of entertainment industry, the television and, and, and film industry, 
that's a big story, right? That could use, there's lots of explanation about what's going on behind the scenes. And of course, if you're interested in this stuff and you follow and you read about it, you know that there's all this machinations that have happened behind the scenes because of what's going on with streaming platforms and the consolidation of media companies, that all this stuff is playing a role in terms of, you know, uh, why these folks are striking now. You add into that mix, you know, the kind of emergent AI and some of the, um, uh, the ways that the uh, television and film industry want to use AI to kind of generate scripts and all sorts of stuff like this. Again, this is, you know, these are really naughty and kind of interesting questions for us. And, and you've got, you know, once again, these unions on the front lines um, basically fighting the good fight. So imagine if that has got as much coverage or even half as much coverage as, you know, someone standing on like a federal court steps uh, kind of, you know, making conjectures about what may happen in the Trump case, right? What's in Trump's mind, right? And all this kind of stuff. I'm so sick of that stuff. I can't even, I can't even tell you. Um, and then, you know, like we said, you saw a whole, this whole week, you know, we saw the you know, consequences of wildfires, right? Um, and what's going on here. And yes, there was lots of focus on the air quality index, and there was a lot, which justifiably so, and that's kind of important. Um, but what an opportunity to really dig in and kind of like, you know, sound, sound the alarm and really focus on the climate crisis, right? As a kind of major, you know, was a wake up call for these media industries. Nope. Uh, why? Because there's a Trump indictment. So we're going to spend our time there because it's easier and it's more comfortable, right? And yes, then you have more guaranteed viewerships because people like the scandal, right? I mean, look, we, we live in a celebrity culture, right? I mean, this is, the, this is a fact about American culture. We pay attention to celebrities. We pay attention to kind of like, you know, real life dramas. You know, we, 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 will follow the kind of like, uh, you know, the scandals that emerge, right? We'll follow influencers on social media platforms, right? And we want that kind of like, you know, kind of snappy takes and things like this. And most of the things that are, are, are kind of, you know, important to a democracy, important to the future of our world, important, important to our children's lives, right? They're not sexy like that, right? They're not celebrity focused. They're not scandalous, right? They're the kind of like, the hard work, you know, critical, you know, required the hard work and critical capacity to kind of get our minds around to kind of solving these problems. Um, so that's what's going to happen. You know, I mean, you know, that the the Trump factor is going to pick up. The media is going to basically say, no, we like keep on cutting our staff. We like uh, basically returning profits to our stockholders. And uh, as a result, uh, yeah, we're just going to go with the kind of the with the money grab as opposed to actually dig into, um, you know, do the hard work of news reporting. So, um, and again, I say that, right, primarily about cable news, right, um, although it kind of bleeds over into the print media. But, you know, the print media, for the most part, um, has been doing some decent reporting, right? You're getting kind of, it's more, I would say it's better now than it was 10 years ago, right, um, because so much has happened, right, and requires this kind of critical reporting. You've got a climate desks that begin to emerging, more, more kind of resources are going in at the Washington Post and the um, New York Times into kind of covering old climate, for example. But, you know, we're late in the game. Um, and, of course, the kind of, you know, independent media has been the ones who've been kind of digging and doing just amazing investigations. Um, but you know what? Uh, let's face it. The, it's a minority of people in the United States that are, 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 are reading that stuff. Right. Um, and so, I mean, yes, we all have to be critical informer, critically informed. We all have to do that kind of work. Um, we have to kind of like educate ourselves and so on. But the fact is, is that most people are not in that camp, right? Um, 
So we're going to hear more about Trump, right? Um, and uh, the whole idea that, you know, half of Canada is on fire is going to become less interesting to people, right? They're going to start yawning at that because there's no scandal involved. So we shall see. Um, but there was, uh, you know, I mean, if, yeah, so this, this I mean, we're going to, we're going to see more of this stuff. And um, we'll see what we can do with that. Related to that, I mean, you look at a couple studies that have just come out um, this week, right? I mean, there is uh, the, you know, this is just you know, one of these <laughs> these things that um, during the summer, right, uh, summer in the northern hemisphere, right, the Arctic may be practically sea ice free by 2030. Mm-hmm. Now, scientists originally thought that maybe 2040, 2050. This could happen if we don't kind of like shift gears quickly, but um, that's not what happened, right? So let me just read you a little bit of this. this is a reporting in the uh, by Raymond Zong in the uh, New York Times. Um, so, so the first summer on record that melts practically all of the Arctic's floating sea ice could occur as early as the 2030s, according to a new scientific study. That's about a decade sooner, decade sooner than researchers previously predicted. The peer-reviewed findings, published Tuesday, also show this milestone of climate change could materialize even if nations manage to curb greenhouse gas emissions more decisively than they are currently doing. Earlier projections had found that stronger action to slow global warming might be enough to preserve the summer ice. Latest research suggests that where Arctic sea ice is concerned, only steep, sharp emission cuts might be able to reverse the effects of warming already underway. And like, look, as we've been seeing, there does not seem to be the political political will at this point to do that. So we can hope, but it's only going to be kind of, you know, pressure, serious pressure um, that it does not exist right now in order to shift those gears. So there's a quote, quote, we are very quickly about to lose the Arctic summer sea ice cover, basically independent of what we're doing said Dirk Nolz, uh, climate scientist at the University of Hamburg in Germany, and one of the uh, new study's five authors. Quote, we've been waiting too long now to do something about climate change to still protect the remaining ice, unquote. A little bit further down, it said Arctic warming could be affecting weather, weather events like extreme rainfall and heat waves in temperate parts of North America, Europe, and Asia um, as that um, ice melts. And then over the past four decades, the far north has already been warming four times as quickly as the global average, a phenomenon that scientists called Arctic amplification. Quote, our study suggests, uh, our results suggest the Arctic amplification will be coming faster and stronger, said Soong Ki Min, a climate scientist at uh, Pohang University of Science and Technology in South Korea, and another author of the new paper. Quote, that means the related impacts will be coming faster. Right. And, you know, not to put too fine a point on it here, but this is what some scientists, right, have been warning about as possibilities for a while is that, you know, we think about warming and there's a story, there's a narrative about warming that is like we can see this curve, right? And it's a slow kind of up. Well, now it's rapidly going up. Um, but it's, you know, it, it seems like it's an even projection so that we, if we have time to act, then we can do this. But, you know, scientists say, look, we just don't know if it's going to continue in that way. Matter of fact, you have these feedback loops that if this one thing happened, these other things could happen more quickly. Right. So if you don't have Arctic sea ice, right, there's and then all that kind of water remains kind of 
you know, available for evaporation and for storms and moisture and all that kind of stuff that could amplify storms, right? It could shift the, um, the, uh, the jet stream even more than it has shifted already. And so we're in for it now, right? I mean, we're, we're in the kind of the race at this point um, to stem the kind of worst possible conclusions, right? So the worst possible outcomes, the you know, worst dystopian future. We're in the race now to kind of like, okay, let's, let's try to put some of the genie back in the bottle, so to speak. It's probably not a good reference, but um, as it were. And I was looking, it reminded me, as I was reading this piece, it reminded me of uh, a map I saw when I was, you know, trying to understand a lot of just where the smoke was coming from this past week. Yes, I knew it was coming from um, Canada, but initially, at the beginning part of the week, right, where we saw the impact of the wildfires in Nova Scotia, right? And... If you just look on a map, right, if you don't know where Nova Scotia is, Nova Scotia is northeast of, say, Philadelphia, of New York City, right? It's in the ocean, right? You know, it's part of Canada, but it's, you know, it's kind of an island, right? To the east to the north, right? And so you just think about it. So in order for the smoke to get to Philadelphia, right, it had to travel southwest, we know that, you know, from being alive on this planet, that the vast majority of times that we get wind or there's weather patterns, they travel from west to east, right? Yeah, so we're north, like northwest to southeast right over there. And then every once in a while, you get this kind of trough of like the way the jet stream goes kind of way down. And so we get stuff that comes from the southwest to the northeast, right? Travels up the coast, right? But what was happening here is we're going kind of backwards, right? It was, it's like, I was thinking about, well, how does it happen? And then, so I, I, this one, I forget the person's name, but they were uh, kind of um, some weather forecaster who was basically putting up these maps of looking at what's happening with the jet stream. And one of the things that climate scientists have been warning about, have been kind of already drawing attention to, is that the the warmer the planet gets, that's going to impact the jet stream. The jet stream is going to become, quote, unquote, lazy, right? Um, so it's going to slow down. And when it slows down, right, it has, it kind of tends to wobble more, right? Some have suggested that the, uh, you know, we get these kind of really deep colds. What do they call it? The Arctic bombs or whatever they call these things. The Arctic bombs that come on where you get this, like, crazy cold air that kind of sits over the center of the country is a part of reflection of that. We've seen like, you know, uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of it now, but you know, we've seen the kind of um, this, this Arctic cold air that kind of circulates. Yeah, there was all that cool, the cool name for it, um, but it circulates over kind of the Arctic Ocean that was splitting in two and then kind of wobbling out before it came back. Right? That's in part some scientists are suggesting is a part of um, what is happening because of climate change. And keeping that in mind, I was looking at this jet stream and it was like this crazy wobble that went from, went way up kind of into Canada and then right in kind of central, central Canada, I guess it's Manitoba, Manitoba, Alberta, kind of in there um, is where a lot of the wildfire smoke came from this week. Then at that point, the jet stream goes from northeast right to southwest way dips way down and then before it comes back up and then it circles around the low 
that is sitting off the coast of um, what was sitting off the coast of, of Canada around Nova Scotia. That low pressure system that's sitting over Nova Scotia moved first to Maine, which is where that brought down all that smoke down to us. And then as of yesterday had moved over like New Hampshire and Vermont, which is why the smoke is getting worse to the West, right? Because essentially the weather system is moving backwards, right? Now, again, that doesn't mean that this has never happened before, but if you look at just, you know, what the science has been telling us and you look at what's been happening and looking at what's going on with that jet stream, it's just, it's just remarkable. I mean, it's like, as someone who's a bit of a kind of a weather nerd, right? I, I don't remember ever seeing anything like this for such a prolonged period of time. I mean, it's just, it's just remarkable. You see some of this that happens when kind of like you get a low pressure system, like a nor'easter that gets kind of like stuck off the coast for a bit. Right. Um, and that's, but this is, this is, this is nuts. Right, you couple that with the wildfires, you couple that with the kind of the crazy kind of um, like temperature variants that are happening on the fact that we're still in like 70 degree weather here in June. I mean, it's 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 something else. So that's coupled with the second report that comes out of ProPublica, right, where the ProPublica um, one is basically saying that, look, um, we're on track to take, move one third of humanity out of the most livable environments on Earth, right? In, in particular because of the rising seas, right, and the kind of the shifting of, um, um, what do you call it, um, basically kind of the climates in particular regions where you have, there's areas that are, that right now produce a lot of grain, for example, or temperate climates, stuff like that, and they're going to become increasingly more hot, right, um, they're going to be start drying up, water is going to be less available, right, and people are going to have to move from those spaces, right. I'll just give you this one piece of it. So it says um, climate change is remapping where humans can exist on the planet, not where they are, but where they can exist. As optimum conditions shift away from the equator and toward the poles, more than 600 million people have already been stranded outside of a crucial environmental niche that scientists say best supports life. By late this century, according to a study published last month in the journal Nature Sustainability, three to six billion people three to six billion people or between a third and a half of humanity could be trapped outside of that zone facing extreme heat, food scarcity, and higher death rates unless emissions are sharply curtailed or mass migration is accommodated. This research, which adds novel detail about who will be most affected and where, suggests that climate-driven migration could easily eclipse the largest estimates as enormous segments of the Earth's population seek safe havens. It also makes a moral case for immediate and aggressive policies to prevent such a change from occurring, in part by showing how unequal the distribution of pain will be and how great the improvements would be with even small achievements in slowing the pace of warming. So, quote, there are clear, profound ethical consequences in the numbers, unquote. Timothy Lenton, one of the study's lead authors and directors of Global Systems Institute at the University of Exeter in the UK, said in an interview, quote, if we can't level with that injustice and be honest about it, then we'll never progress the international action on this issue. Right. And there's much more. I encourage people to check it out. The, uh, the reports called or the articles called climate crisis on the track to push one third of humanity out of its most livable environment. And that's a ProPublica. Um, it is, um, you know, it's the kind of things that we need to contend with. And if you recall, I think I actually have it right here. 
this is um, there's this piece by uh, Zoya Tierstein, which was in the Bucks County Beacon. I was hoping to try to get her on the show, but it's, it doesn't look like that one's going to happen. Um, and I was going to actually talk to you know talk about this on the um, talk about this on the show and her piece, and I still would like to do this. I might have to do it as a separate show. Um, she published this piece in Grist, um, which was also then republished by the Bucks County Beacon, of how far right groups like the Oath Keepers are exploiting climate chaos. And if you just think about what just happened there, right? I mean, what I just read there about you're talking about this kind of mass migration. So either we have to dramatically shift um, uh, the amount of emissions that we're putting out, or we have to accommodate this mass migration. And this is where the nationalists and the fascists, right, are kind of lining up with some of the um, the worst scenarios around climate, right? Because they don't want to do anything about climate change, right? They don't want to change their behavior. They don't want to change the kind of like the reliance on fossil fuels. They want to keep on doing what they're doing. They just want to build walls and fortify borders to prevent people from kind of entering. In other words, to allow for millions of people to die. And basically say, I got mine, screw you. Right? And it just so happens, of course, that those folks that are kind of occupying the spaces that are more habitable in the northern hemisphere, at least kind of a good chunk of them are white, right? And a good chunk of the people that are going to be facing the, the worst of these environmental impacts are not white, which then just reinforces this kind of Christian nationalist fascist um, alliance with climate chaos. I mean, it's just... It's, it's, it's deeply troubling. It's been something that's bothered me ever since I, I, I don't think I was even really aware of the fact that there were people, you know, talking about this until we saw the, uh, the, the, the mass shooting in New Zealand at Christchurch when the, one of the um, kind of manifestos or whatever writing that was left behind by, uh, by the shooter um, was about this. Right, was about climate fascism, environmental fascism, basically saying, yes, climate change is real, right? A break from the kind of like, you know, say, you know, conservative orthodoxy. They're saying, yes, this is real. And therefore, instead of let's solve the problem, say, no, let's fortify the borders, right? Um, everybody needs guns to keep out those people. Um, so, you know, that's facing us down. That's facing us down for sure. Um, but we got a little literally taste of it, um, breath of that air um, all week long. Anyways, when we come back, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the dumpster fire that happened in uh, uh, the Pembroke School Board this week. Um, that was pretty crazy. I'll play some sound from that. Um, and well, a couple other things that are happening around the area and uh, before we uh, break for the weekend. So this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. want to remind you that you become a patron of the show. Help support the work that we do by heading over to patreon.com slash rcpress. Become a patron today for as little as five bucks a month. Um, and you can help keep the media in the movement and the movement in the media. We'll be back right after this quick break. I think. No, you know what? Because in order to have a quick break, you actually have to turn your levels back up so you can hear the sound. See that? Like this right now. Now you're going to hear it. All right, we'll be right back. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. Oh, 
On this day in labor history, the year was 1954. That was the day that marked the public downfall of Wisconsin Senator Joseph McCarthy. Senator McCarthy had become the public face of anti-communist hysteria during the Cold War. He used his position as senator to make wild accusations against alleged communists in the U.S. government. He ruined careers and ramped up public fears of a menacing communist threat. Public officials, labor leaders, university presidents, and Hollywood stars and directors all became potential targets of the Red Scare. The hysteria took a particular toll on the labor movement. In 1946, Congress overrode President Harry Truman's veto and passed the Taft-Hartley Act. The act required that all union leaders sign an affidavit that they were not communists. Those with ties to the Communist Party, or those who simply refused to sign the loyalty pledge on principle, faced expulsion from the labor movement. The communist purges ripped the labor movement apart, expelling some of the most progressive and radical leaders. Senator McCarthy was the public face of the anti-red witch hunts. But some in the public began to question his bullying tactics. Then the senator made an unfounded claim that the army had been infiltrated by communists. For two months, the American public watched as Senator McCarthy conducted televised hearings into the United States Army. Joseph Welch served as the chief legal counsel for the army. Senator McCarthy accused another lawyer of Welch's firm of having communist ties. Angered, Welch asked, Have you no sense of decency, sir? At long last. Have you left no sense of decency? Many in the public watched the testimony and wondered the same thing. McCarthy's popularity and power was finally checked. Hey, everybody, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, yes, we're back from our little break. And uh, yes, we got to talk about what happened at the Penridge School District right here in Bucks County, Pennsylvania this week. Um, now, as you'll recall, just as little, for, just in case people listening from outside the area aren't familiar with the whole background story, the short version of it is, well, number one is that you had a basically right wing, like far right Republican takeover of the school board. Right. It's already Republican dominated. Right. But this was the far right Republicans taking over of the school board in the last round of elections. And since then, they've been just kind of wreaking havoc um, on our curriculum, on, on policies. Um, and basically, there's like two factions on the board now. There's the kind of like uh, there's the professional sounding um, Republicans who uh, know how to follow procedure and protocol, at least. Right. Uh, we'll call those the institutionists, institutionalists, right, Co institutional conservatives. Um, and then you've got the kind of like, you know, burn it all down conservatives. Right. Um, so the institutional conservatives are really kind of like Joan Cullen, who's been the kind of at the forefront of um, turning the school board toward the radical right for quite some time. But she knows how to basically, you know, run a meeting and use policy and use uh, um, procedure as a way to. Um, basically enact this, uh, you know, attack on our public schools. Whereas the, the burn it down faction, they just don't care, right? They just want everything now and they're willing to kind of like, you know, like bend if not break the law in order to kind of get what they want. So 
one of the most recent things that had happened was the school board uh, passed a or approved a contract to hire this guy, Jordan Adams, um, from this from this or this company called Vermilion Education to come in and rewrite the school's social studies curriculum from K through 12, right? So the problem with that, other than the fact that Vermilion Education um, is basically has, well, Jordan Adams, who founded Vermilion Education just about, what, five months ago, um, was a graduate of Hillsdale College, that Christian nationalist private institution up in Michigan, um, that... Um, and then who actually ran their curricular groups to expand this kind of Christian nationalist curriculum um, to charter schools across the country, right? Then he thought, oh, you know what? It might be good to have a little space between uh, Hillsdale College because people are starting to figure out who Hillsdale College is and what they do. So we're going to, you know, I'm going to go off and going to start my own kind of consulting company, make a ton of money um, by kind of gutting public schools, right? So that's what, that's what he's been doing. And so Vermilion Education was hired by the Penridge School District. Um, the not only is that a problem, but the way it happened was also a problem, right? Um, that the majority, you know, this is the kind of the burn it all down faction of uh, Republicans that run the board right now. They did not tell the um, institutional Republicans that this contract even existed, right? So they didn't even post the contract to be voted on until about 24 hours before um, the school board meeting, which it was going to be voted on. So basically, just under half of the school board had no idea this was coming out, right? At least that's what what seemed to be the case and what was said um, at those meetings, okay? So that was the backdrop. There's committee meetings, right? So one of them is a curricular meeting um, that was supposed to take place on Wednesday, right? These are regular scheduled meetings that we're planning on but they had already kind of moved the meeting time around several times, right? Um, so, you know, I mean, parents and community members have become, uh, you know, savvy enough now to know that shenanigans are gonna happen. And so they watch very carefully what happens with meeting times and so on. And people were going, you know, informing each other, wait a minute, they're moving this to this time there. Instead of it being at seven o'clock, it's gonna be at six o'clock. It's gonna be at 4.30, it's gonna be here. Oh wait, you know, so there was all this kind of moving around, but finally it was figured out that yes, indeed, this, the the, Curricular meetings and the other committee meetings were going to be happening on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Okay. Okay, great. So shortly before that meeting, like earlier that day, um, there was a post that came out that basically said, well, look, due to these air quality problems, right? And look, that was, I mean, the air quality was legitimately an issue, right? I mean, it was bad everywhere. But they said, because of that, we're going to move the meeting to Thursday, Right. And so this seemed like, OK, this would be a legitimate move of the meeting. Right. It was being announced, you know, more than 24 hours ahead of time. So there wasn't kind of in violation of any kind of, you know, um, uh, kind of transparency laws. Right. Um, and Sunshine Act stuff. OK. So that happens. It was a bit frustrating because then it was like, oh, you know, like people have to change their schedules and everything like this. Um, and then there's personally, right, there was a bunch of folks, you know, who were already planning on going to this uh, fundraiser at Free Will last night, right? So then people are like, oh, well, you know, just some of us just, we're not gonna be able to go. We're gonna have to go to this meeting instead. So then about 4.56 p.m., right, on Wednesday, the school board 
or the district, quote unquote, whoever the hell is actually the district, because it was an unsigned uh, thing, basically said, nope, the meeting is going to go ahead for 6 p.m. today. So on Wednesday at, at 4.56, right, just over an hour before this is going to take place, the meeting is going to go ahead, but we're going to do it on Zoom, right? And it said that there's going to be a public link that is going to be posted for everybody to join, right? So, like, then everybody's scrambling about, like, kind of how to kind of get to this link, right? My wife tells me about it. So, wait a minute, they're having some Zoom meetings. I'm like, what? And so people are trying to scramble me to get there. And I'm like, all right, like it's already past the, the, the time. I'll just have to catch it. I'll have to catch it afterwards. Um, and, but then, you know, finished dinner or whatever, and then went, went down. So let me see if it's still going on. And I, I had found out a little bit earlier on, uh, even before then, that there were, the link didn't seem to be showing up, right? There was, they said that it was going to be on all the social media. It was not on all the social media. They said it was going to be on the district website. It was not on the district website. Um, eventually they updated that, but that was then maybe a half an hour before the meeting, 20 minutes before the meeting. And then you went to the zoom link, right? And you click on the zoom link and it says like, you know, school board meeting test, right? And then it says, you're waiting for someone to start the meeting. Well, apparently the meeting was already supposed to be going on, but it's saying here, turns out there were over 300 people that were waiting to get into this meeting because Jordan Adams, that guy from Vermilion was supposed to be giving a presentation about the curriculum and about Vermilion and about the changes and things that they that he wants to bring and what their work is going to be. So obviously the level of public interest is super high. Right? And so this goes on for, like, people are waiting and waiting and waiting. Like, there's, you know, obviously the media goes to this stuff. The media is waiting. The media is not getting let in. Right. Some people had a link that seemed to be for the actual meeting and other people were getting a link that was just basically saying, no, there's no meeting going on here. So it was all this chaos. And it took about like 45 minutes or so um, before some people could actually get in. I want to read you this piece from this is from 69 News. Right. Um, and they I'm going to skip the part where they relate kind of what happened to lead up in this. But this is great. Um, so they said, OK, add that. Well, I'll start from here. Then as of 4.56 p.m., the district tweeted that the meeting would proceed at 6 p.m. Wednesday as scheduled, but via Zoom. The message said the public link would be posted. It said those tweets have since been deleted as of mid-morning on Thursday. Now some parents and district committee members say the school board was trying to hold the meeting at the last minute to avoid opposition, which was expected at the meeting. Then video clips sent to 69 News, um, news Show uh, board members appeared to be or news show that board members appeared to be on zoom call Wednesday evening, but the public and media, including our reporter from 69 news were not allowed into the meeting meeting for a while. Conversations got heated between board members and the video clip show with arguing about whether the meeting should be held or if it's a violation of the sunshine act, which requires advanced notice of meetings, rescheduled meetings must have a 24 hour prior notice. Right. Then Joan Cullen, again, head of the kind of institutionalist Republican faction, which is also, again, supportive of the policies, but just not the way they're happening, right? So Joan Cullen says, I think it's outrageous that the public has been so disrespectful to have this changing back and forth at the last minute, up until one hour before this meeting, board member Joan Cullen has heard saying, it's pretty obvious what's going on here. It wasn't a mistake, right? So this goes on. So Jenny Stevens from the uh, uh, Bucks County Beacon she got a hold of some of this um, audio 
that I just want to play for you to give you a sense of, of what's actually going on, right? So this is the um, this is kind of some of the the original exchange with um, what Joan Collins is toward the beginning of the meeting. So let me just make sure that this is that this is going to play. Yeah. Okay. Good. I just want to make sure it's not going to come out too too loud here. Okay, so we're gonna, I'll play this right for the beginning and then I'll talk a little bit about it, then we're gonna play a second clip. So here is the, when the, the meeting is finally gonna get ready to start. So we have Joan, we have Ron, we have Megan, and we have Mr. Cormac. We'll talk about who's there. I just want to let you know that I, I do not want to participate in this meeting. This is Joan Cullen. We're not able to consult with our solicitor. Um, to determine whether this meeting is actually legal or not. And I do not believe it to be legal based upon our policy and the state at Sunshine Laws. So I don't think that anything discussed tonight will be proper and will be actionable at our board meeting on the 12th. I think it's outrageous that the public has been so disrespected to have this changing back and forth at the last minute up until one hour before this meeting to change the time. It's pretty obvious what's going on. It wasn't a mistake. And again, I don't think that we should participate in this meeting because the solicitor did not advise that it was a proper meeting. Right, so there you have it, right? So this is Joan Cullen. Again, Joan Cullen has read, has led the kind of shift to the far right on this board. But she's an institutionalist. She knows how to kind of pull the, 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 you know, the levers of the machine, as it were, in order to enact these kind of policies. But what she's at, where she has drawn that line is basically saying, look, if you violate the law, you're leaving the whole you're you're kind of like leaving the whole school district up for a lawsuit. Right. And once she says, like, well, I'm surprised you've disrespected the public. Anybody who's been in the school district for a long time knows that Joan Cullen is like a master of disrespecting the public. I mean, she was the one who was out on Twitter basically saying things, you know, when there was uh, students who were protesting gun violence, basically saying that, you know, you're a bunch of Marxists, like you're Marxist extremists. And she was calling students names on public public social media. Right. I mean, she's the one who has basically ensured this march forward. Right. And the part was what's made her so effective as a, a leader on that board. She was the president at one point. She's not now. But what has made her so effective is that she's been able to kind of like use her position um, to maneuver through the official policies to force through this kind of agenda. Right. So on one hand, you could say that, OK, yeah, what she's saying is really important. And I, I look at it. And she's right. Right. I mean, this is kind of this is legally this is questionable whether they could even have this meeting. Right. And leaving themselves off the lawsuits if they actually passed anything, because in order because there's another meeting that's scheduled on 12th, as she was saying. And the stuff that happens on the 12th is supposed to be, you know, there's actionable items that come out of these committee meetings. So the committee meeting has to happen first before the action items can be voted upon on, on Monday. So now that's all kind of disrupted. Right. So she's saying that. Right. And because that, that's true. And she, they recognize what's going on. But Megan Bannis Clemens and the kind of the Wizards of Thay, Red Wizards of Thay, have basically said that, no, we basically need to uh, uh, push this through no matter what. So they're for, trying to force through this meeting. So in the second clip I'm going to play, um, this is, again, this is from Jenny Stevens, and she published this article in the Bucks County Beacon. 
Um, and Ron Wirtz comes coming here again. Ron Wirtz, right, has emerged as a reasonable voice. Is also someone who's pals with Joan Cullen, right? So let's be let's be clear about this. But he's now he's running. Actually, cannot get a nomination for the uh, Republican backing here. So he's run, actually running on the Democratic ticket this time round. He's getting support for the Democrats, which, by the way, I will vote for him. Um, to kind of it, 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 to try to keep these freaking extremists who are now running for the board off the you know off that board and to turn 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 this back a little bit. Um, Dave Rice is the president of the board. Um, the hilarious. Oh, I'll play this before I go to the next clip. Um, so one of the hilarious things that happens there is that when the meeting starts, um, right? You know, basically you're supposed to talk about who you are, and so Dave Rice, the president of the board. Right. Doesn't have his picture up. There's no other thing. It all it says is Dave's iPhone. <laughs> right. And so uh, uh, so here's Jane Kramer. She's a you know, she's a community member, parent and stuff uh, who's been kind of active and stuff. This is her responding to the fact that like the ch- the, the president of the board has just got doesn't know how to work Zoom, basically. Right. So- Who the hell is Dave's iPhone? <laughs> is that a board member? Could we try to be a little professional? Uh, yes. <laughs> that's just like I just love that Dave's iPhone is what it says uh yes <laughs> right what goes on but regardless so that happens right so then the next the next thing that goes on uh Ron Wirtz kind of comes in basically says look I think this is a, this is a violation right um we got to stop this we can't be doing this so then we're going to hear the you know the leader of the Red Wizards of Thay Megan Bannis Clemens herself come in and you're going to see how freaking nasty this gets, right? She tries to suggest that this is all based upon air quality. And it's like the best intentions of all this kind of stuff. But Joan Cullen has already called her out. Basically said, we know what's going on here. You're trying to avoid the kind of criticism um, around this guy um, from Vermillion. She's want to push things through. So this is a little bit of a longer clip, but I think it's worth hearing just so you can hear the degree of just chaos and dumpster fire um, that we got going on here in the Penridge School Board. So here's the second clip. Still there? Two minutes. Truman. Still there? Two minutes. Just hear Ron words ahead. Truman. You know yes. we're in violation of the Sunshine Act, Dave. You do know that, right? You need an answer. You say, you know we're in violation of the Sunshine Act, right? I need an answer. Ron, everyone had the, the best intentions. Can you stop? Can you, can you guys just stop being ignorant about it? People were trying to, to to protect people based on the air quality and still be able to have a meeting. So- All right, I just got to say this. Now, this is coming from a woman who has helped leading the charge, basically denying like that COVID was an issue that we should not have. We don't need masks and all this kind of stuff was blown out of proportion to get rid of the mask policies and all this kind of stuff. Now is suddenly hiding behind the air quality from the smoke from the wildfires they're burning in Canada. She probably denies climate change is a real thing too as well. Um, but this is kind of what she's doing. She basically said, everyone had the best intentions and blah blah blah. She tells people to stop being ignorant and so on. All right, I'm going to get back to it. I'm sorry. Good answer. Ron, everyone had the, the best intentions. Can you stop? Can you, can you guys just stop being ignorant about it? People were trying to, to to protect people based on the air quality and still be able to have a meeting. So, you know, you probably like people were trying to be... Can we, can we stop for a minute so yeah. I can get my statement? Can I get my statement ready? Yeah. Say, please, stop talking. Put it on your next night when, when you're originally scheduled to do it. I mean, the law is the law is pretty clear to anyone with even the most basic. This is Joe Cullen. Reading comprehension. 
to say that people had the best intentions, I think is incredibly misleading. And even if we were to extend that grace and say that you had the best intentions, the right thing to do would be to abide by what you told the public, which is that you were going to reschedule these meetings with the appropriate notice of more than 24 hours. If indeed you made a mistake, which you claim, which no, I did not. Is that saying that I, no, I, you did, Megan? Let me I know. had nothing to do with canceling the meetings, Bill. No, wait a minute, no, Dave, no. Megan Bear's yes. absolutely 100% claimed that the first email canceling the meetings for tonight was a mistake. She did claim that. And what I'm telling you, I didn't say it was mine. You did say it was a mistake. And I do have- I didn't say it was mine, Joan. Who cares? You realize that no one cares about anything you're saying right now? Can, can we let all the people in so Dave can read a statement, please? I think there's a lot of people who care about what I have to say and a lot of people who care about the public, Megan. You don't appear to be one of those people. And I think it's disgraceful. And your continued, you know, behavior okay. you trying to scream at people to shut us up. When Joan's done, can you let Hold people on. in? Hold on. Everybody needs to stop talking. I'm going to make my statement. Mrs. Miller, would you be able to allow everybody in, please? Yeah. Thank you. So that's it, right? So then there's a statement that's read that basically now now they're now they're not going to have the meeting, right? Because they're I mean they they know that everything is 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 crazy. So that just gives you a little window into this, right? So you have it has gotten so bad in the Penridge School Board, right? That one they cannot even schedule a meeting accurately. It's clear that the people who have some degree of competence about basically how to run a meeting are not the people who are running the meeting. You've got the president of the school board, Dave Rice, who's basically, he, he is like ineffective is, is being kind, right? Is that he's just basically there as a shield, right? As a meat shield for, you know, um, for Megan Bannis Clemens, the, the Wizard of Thay, right? I mean, this is kind of like, I swear to God, I, I have to understand this in D&D terms in order to be able to just really make sense of the absolute kind of bleep show that is going on there. And, you know, the, uh, the one thing I want to point out in all of this is that we've gotten past the kind of right-wing takeover, right? That's still happening, right? But we are at such a level of dysfunction that... You know, the basic rules that these people set for themselves, right? The policies of the board are just being thrown out the window and attempted to run roughshod. And I can't believe I'm going to say this, but if it was not for someone like Joan Cullen, who understood the rules so what, that these folks might have gotten away with it without a lawsuit, right? Unless there's somebody sued, sued the district. And the district is being sued anyways um, for multiple reasons, right? So, I mean, this this is where we're at. I mean, Penridge School Board is so far off the rails, it's just, it's, it's just nuts. Um, one of the things that is concerning to me, right, is that because Joan Cullen and Ron Wirtz, right, are the voices, quote unquote, voices of reason on the school board right now, is that people in general are going to mistake their reasonableness about basically saying we should follow the rules 
going to mistake their reasonableness for now shifting sides or changing sides and now coming over and understanding a better, you know, a kind of a, a, um, a more inclusive way of thinking about education or kind of coming over to kind of quote unquote our side, right? Which is the rest of the community, right? No, they were clear when it came to say like to the bathroom policy, for example, right? When they were kind of, kind of pass, passing a series of uh, uh, anti-LGBTQ um, policies, um, they all voted for it. The only person who didn't vote for it was Ron Wirtz, but not because he disagreed with um uh, he disagreed with the bathroom policy. He disagreed or disagreed that you should make accommodations for LGBTQ youth, particular trans, transgender youth. No, his thing was like, you know, we should just kind of, we need a little bit more time to think about it. Um, so we can rewrite it in the right way so we don't have to go back and redo this work. So we have to remember is that there's two things we can remember at once. One, they're all on the same page, right? The, 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 the biggest controversies that are leading to this kind of like crap show on the school board right now has to do with over the, the, the absolute kind of burn it all down faction, right. Versus the institutional faction about how things are done and lots of personal animosity is really what's getting played out here. The reason why I say that that's all the more important that we mobilize for the elections that are coming in the fall, right. For those folks who are in the Penridge school district to make sure that look, you're out there supporting the, the democratic party supported candidates, right. The Penridge Democrats endorsed candidates um, for the school board, right? That includes, I want to be clear about this, includes Ron Wirtz, who is a Republican, right? Who ran with that burn it all down faction um, the last time round, right? And um, <clears throat> he'll say, basically, you know, I, I will want to give, you know, um, parents protect students and parents more choice. And I still want to do that. I still believe in that. So whatever, we can kind of parse that out another time. But basically to say that, this next election, even though Megan Bannis Clemens is not running again, Joan Collin is not running again, so two of the kind of like um, the, the worst members on the board are going to be gone, right? The Republican Party back candidates, right, um, are as extreme. And I would suggest that um, at, at least half of them, um, there's five candidates, so what, what, no, I think three of them are in that kind of more institutionalist kind of factions. They know how to pull the levers of the machine. There are some really burn it all down folks on there too as well, particularly when it comes to um, kind of anti-LGBTQ stuff. So, you know, we'll get into more of that kind of as we move forward. And what I hope to be able to do over the, you know, in the next couple months or so, this summer to kind of, um, you know, bring on some of the school board members, um, or still school board candidates who are running there. So you get a little bit of a sense of like kind of how they're seeing things and how they're kind of understanding um, kind of what they're doing and what's at stake in the school board um, kind of elections moving forward, um, just to help to flesh out some of this conversation because um, it's important. Then ideally, as we move closer to the fall, have some folks that are working on um, maybe some of the campaigns, maybe people in the community that are doing organizing, um, that are doing some of the um, um, calling out for particular events, um, move on because it's going to be really important. So that's that. So, I mean, it was just, it was an absolute mess. Um, and yes, my, I have kids in the school district, so it's got me extra worried. Um, but this is the kind of situation, this is the kind of dynamic that is playing itself out kind of, you know, across the county and across the, across the Commonwealth and across the country. Um, Central School, uh, the, uh, Central Buck School Board, right? Of course, you've got uh, Paul Martino's wife is running for uh, running for school board, and you're going to have his money getting dumped within uh, in that school uh, in that school board race. Um, that's getting kind of really heated up. 
We're seeing similar things that are happening over in Souderton. We're seeing things that are happening in the Palisade School District. We're seeing things that are happening in the um, um, uh, uh, Council Rock School District. I mean, we got to be paying attention to what's going on. And obviously we are. Um, same is happening out of Kutztown. So <clears throat> we'll keep as much attention on it as we can. Um, some other cool things that are happening around or some interesting things that are going on, I guess. Um, the workers at the Museum of the American Revolution um, that is in Philadelphia, they're basically um, calling on their leadership um, to cancel a planned event with Moms for Liberty. Um, so as you recall, Moms for Liberty are having their... Um, uh, um, Moms for Liberty are having their annual convention, right? It's called like something Joyful Warriors or something like this, right? Um, but they were scheduled to have their um, kind of welcome to Philadelphia reception um, at the Museum of American History, uh, Museum of the American uh, Museum of the American Revolution, um, ahead of that um, uh, of that conference or convention or whatever you want to call it, right? So that conference or convention is going to be there from uh, the 29th uh, through July 2nd, and um, this event was being scheduled, and workers at that um, at that um, museum are standing up and, and pushing back against this, right? So I'll read you a little bit. This is from the Philadelphia Inquirer, right? So nearly 40 staffers at the Museum of the American Revolution are demanding that museum leadership cancel a scheduled event hosted by Moms for Liberty, a quote-unquote parents' rights group recently classified as an anti-government extremist organization by the Southern Poverty Law Center. The museum, located in an old city, has sought to diversify the stories it tells about American history. Its current special exhi uh, exhibition, um, Black Founders, is a first-of-its-kind spotlight on James Fortin, a prominent Black Revolutionary War-era abolitionist, and staffer said allowing such a group to rent its space undermines the progress the museum has made. Quote, we do not feel that any dollar amount is worth endangering the safety of the museum staff members in the building on the day of the event, serving as a host to a group that does not stand with our values and damaging the museum's reputation that we have all worked so hard to build, unquote. A petition signed by 39 staff members reads, the museum employs about 75 people full-time and 37 part-time. Moms for Liberty, an organization that sought control over public education by banning books by removing curriculum related to race, gender, and sexuality, is hosting its national summit in Philadelphia at the end of the month. Featured speakers are, so to give you a sense of who's there, GOP presidential candidates Donald Trump, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley. Um, the site of the summit in the Philadelphia's Marriott downtown is already being protested by queer and trans-led groups. Moms for Liberty is hosting its Welcome to Philadelphia reception of the museum on June 29th. Its event has not been canceled, and museum spokesperson said the group's meeting in Philadelphia is scheduled to run through um, July 2nd. So Moms for Liberty co-founder Tiffany Justice and Tina uh, Deskovich said in a statement, quote, name-calling parents who want to be part of their child's education as hate groups that were bigoted just further exposes what this battle is about, who fundamentally gets to decide who is taught in our kids in school, parents or government employees, blah, 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 blah. And let's just say, we have to say it again, is that that is not what the issue is. The issue is, is that are a diversity of opinions and perspectives allowed within our schools or do Christian nationalists like the folks at Moms for Liberty get to tell everybody else what to do? That is what is at stake, right? 
The thing is, they don't want their children to hear other perspectives other than their very narrow, limited Christian nationalist perspective. And so they want to force their perspective on everyone else, right? Because let's be clear, when they say who gets to decide, I want my kid reading about reading critical history. I want my kid learning about kind of like black revolutionaries. I want my kids to learn about the struggles um, that people fought um, in the labor movement, right? Just to get kind of put an end to child labor and to go win a working like a eight hour day. I want that part of American history to be taught to my kids. Do I get to have that taught? No. Tiffany Justice and Tina Descovich from On First Liberty tell me they, no, I have to listen to their history. My kids have to learn their history, not the all the whole history. Right. So let's be clear. This is like this is this is, this is parents parents rights groups. It's all a little bunch of love bull crap. It's all about kind of them forcing Christian nationalists on everyone else and saying that's what we need to learn. <clears throat> so this is one more thing from here. So over the course of six years, this is a quote quote over the course of six years, literally hundreds of hands have helped been involved in building this reputation. This is of the museum as a source where we are trying to tell the full story said B. Reed, an email marketing manager who is non-binary and sent the letter to CEO R. Scott Stevenson. Quote, we're trying to include stories about black history and women's history and queer history. This event for Moms of Liberty would compromise all of the work that we've done trying to build connections with these institutions that are being directly targeted by Moms for Liberty. As an exam specialist, Xander Karkoff, who is queer, put it, quote, everything they stand for is in conflict with our mission. Right? This is really important. Workers at the museum itself are standing up and saying, we don't want this as part of our institution because they're the ones who helped build this, who helped change this, who helped expand what this museum could do, the stories that are told, right? And so it is also telling that someone like from Moms for Liberty who says, no, we don't want those stories told, that they choose this place as a place to kind of stake their banner over what we call America. So, all kudos goes to the folks, the workers at the Museum of American Revolution. Pretty amazing. Yeah, exactly, Emily. Yeah. And science. Do we get to teach our kids about mental health, about sexual health, about geology, about climate science? <clears throat> Not according to Moms for Liberty. Those are kind of like advocacy issues, right? It's insane. <clears throat> the last thing I want to mention today um, is kind of one of the stories is that this got sent to me. Um, by one of our listeners uh, last week. And it's really interesting, right? So there's this, um, you know, the organization Together for Public Schools <clears throat> um, um, has kind of emerged to help kind of, you know, protect public schools. Um, but down in Chester County, there is this kind of uh, new charter school that is attempting to kind of get its charter and stuff. It's called the Valley Forge Classical Academy. Um, and as I said at the beginning of the show, they are pushing this same kind of um, same kind of um, Christian nationalist uh, curriculum that we see that comes out of like Hillsdale College, right, and some other kind of you know associated groups, right, very similar to what the Vermilion Education wants to push, the so-called classical academies, right. Um, what they just found out is that, well, not they just found out, but this group say, you know, posted a kind of an article about this. And so let me just read you a little bit about what they say. Um, 
So it says, sometimes a picture is really worth a thousand words. If you are just tuning in, the Valley Forge Classical Academy, or the uh, VFCA, is a new charter school that is applied to operate as a taxpayer-funded public school. Okay, this is the key thing, right, about these push for charters. We're going to see the same thing in Penridge. We're going to see the same thing in Central Bucks even more. We're going to see this um, a renewed push towards this because the money is behind it. So if approved, um, and money like by money, I mean like Paul Martino. I mean like, you know, Jeffrey Yass. That's what I'm talking about. So if approved, it would draw tax dollars from the Westchester area school district, as well as surrounding school districts from Chester County. The public hearing is scheduled for June 14th, right? Um, so I, please mark this on your calendars. Um, that's the uh, June, I'm sorry, June 14th uh, marks the end of a window of opportunity in which community members can weigh in on whether the charter school should be approved. There are so many reasons why um, VFCA is not suitable to operate as a tax fire, uh, taxpayer funded public charter school that we've been struggling to summarize them. The issues span curriculum, planning, leadership, budget policies, and more, right? So that gives you a little background of what goes on. Um, but here's like it says, but an example of how and where um, VFCA has promoted their school might sum up the situation better than we ever could. So there's this picture, right, um, that was posted on social media, right, from the Thomas Aquinas, quote unquote, right? Um, and the picture is a picture of. I'll say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine children, eight children, right? Standing there um, with kind of like their eyes whited out, right? And you know how you can have put your filter on camera makes it look like a negative picture, right? So it takes the picture, makes it, puts it in a negative, like a film negative, right? That's how they look. And they've got their kind of like eyes whited out with this crazy googly eyes put in there. Right. And basically it says the person, quote unquote, quote unquote, Thomas Aquinas says, uh, have you pulled your kids out of the public school yet? Right. And the image says, what did you learn at school today, sweetie? And now all these kids like in a trance robot says one of them who has a swastika on their forehead says, I'm gay, which is the swastika in that. Right. Another one says socialism works. Another one says trapped in a girl's body, progressive Democrat for life. Another one says, really, really gay. Another says, I hate white people. Another says, I hate men with a swastika on her thing. Another one says, Muslims are peaceful. Oh, and orange man bad, right? So that gives you, like, that's what they're putting out, right? These people on these kind of social media. And then you find out that, so that thing gets posted, and there's some comments that say, Dave Byers says, yes, I got no regrets. I, yes, I pulled mine out of trouble schools. Another Edward Roberts says, my parents, myself, my children all went to private school. When it came time for my granddaughter to even, our private schools don't use real books any longer. So my children weren't comfortable not knowing what was being thought. Homeschooling is the only option left. And then there's this little comment by Becky Homecky, who says, no, the Valley Forge, the Valley Forge Classical Academy Charter School is what you want, you know? So Becky Homecki is a pseudonym uh, for a social media account that has been widely used to promote um, the VFCA, right? And I'm just going to read from this article. So we were skeptical that this could be a real account linked to uh, VFCA because, frankly, it's hard to believe an organization seeking tax taxpayer funding could be so wildly unprofessional. But we've done our research and found that Becky Homecki has directly identified herself as the owner of VFCA's email address and has widely and publicly promoted the school, even soliciting donations. 
a VFCA board member has legitimized the account by interacting with Becky Homecki in reference to VFCA under his real name. So yes, this post is an example of how and where VFCA promotes their school, and sadly, it is far from the worst. As you'll see in their image galleries at the bottom of this post, right, and there's a link in their show notes, Becky Homecki has used a three-pronged um, strategy. One, attack the Westchester Area School District. Incite an audience by jumping on the bandwagon and joining in to target teachers, LGBTQ individuals, and basically anyone who doesn't align with their agenda. And advance. Advance the Valley Forge Classical Academy as the solution, a, quote, no indoctrination zone where students will be required to have a traditional hairstyles, sit at desks squared to the front, and be trained with a curriculum developed by conservative Christian college that boasts a well-funded initiative to seed their classical academies across the nation. This, of course, is Hillsdale College. Right. And then in this, they have a series of things like this. So imagine this, you're the owner of this, um, you're the owner of this, uh, this charter school that you're pushing this kind of uh, Christian nationalist agenda. Um, you want taxpayer Monday. And what you're doing is you're creating fictional accounts, right? So that you can go and talk to yourself on social media and pose as some just random person taking part in conservative or taking part in um, online discussions to promote um, that other school. Right. It's pretty messed up. So, you know, why is this important? Look, this is just just one additional small flashlight shown on another example of the agenda of this, like, Christian nationalist push in education, right? Um, and, you know, there's two things here. One Right. If you're in the if you're in the Chester, you know, and you're in the Chester County area, right, the Westchester area school district, you're in there and you look at this class academy, make sure that you're at that public hearing that's scheduled for uh, June 14th. Right. Um, send letters to kind of representatives and current board members and anybody that you can um, share this uh, post with other folks. Right. Um, again, if you want to know um, where this is coming from. You can just check out Together in Public Schools. Let me just see. I'll give you their uh, their Twitter account, right? So it's Together WCASD. That's Westchester Area School District. So Together WCASD. Go check out their Twitter account. Make sure you follow them. Um, see what's happening in there. Um, send out more of your concerns and offer points of solidarity, right? Um, because, look, this is happening. This is not one school district. This is happening across our Commonwealth and across the nation. This is part of that Christian nationalist educational push, right? Which is why I wanted to highlight it here today. Um, so yeah, so that's it. Uh, that's what we got for today, everybody. Um, but I do want to give a shout out one more time to, I, I really did. I had an awesome time last night at the uh, um, my wife and some friends. We all kind of met up. We uh, formed our trivia team. We did not win. No, <laughs> we did pretty well, though. I have to say we did. You know, we had uh, uh, we did pretty well. Um, and there were a couple uh, uh, there were a couple questions that um, we just kind of made the wrong choice on. Right. For example, like, you know, some of us like well, we had some. Oh, we think it's this one, but we think it's that we weren't sure. And so we picked one when we should have picked the other, you know, that kind of thing. That's what happens there. But it was a lot of fun. It was a ton of fun. And uh, the Penridge Democrats, I mean, um, they, this was a fantastic event. I mean, we actually got to meet, you know, some of the school board candidates. Um, they went around and kind of talked to folks, let them know um, a little bit about themselves, answer questions. Um, um, 
you're seeing a an organization that had, you know, the Penridge Democrats in particular, that had been, you know, not I don't want to say defunct, but for a long time that I I've lived here, right? It's been pretty much, you know, there was a newsletter that went out, and now because of this organizing that's going on, you have amazing people um, that are really building a community, right, to basically, you know, take back our schools. Um, and, you know, on the one hand, yes, it's a, it's a, you know, democratic, uh, organization, democratic party organization, but it is also, uh, this kind of space of hope, if you ask me, um, where people are kind of like feeling saying, you know, we can do this together. Right. And to see the fact that there's a lot of say younger folks in the community, right. Say young parents, but also younger folks, in addition to kind of folks who've been around, been around for quite some time. Right. Um, are all there joining. There was kids there. It was a lot, a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, I, I just uh, encourage everybody, if you're in the Penridge Democrats, uh, Penridge area, um, check out the Penridge Democrats. Um, and they've got upcoming events, I think, uh, June 17th, if I'm correct about that, if I look at this, June 17th is a Saturday. Next June, they're going to have their first canvassing event. We're going to have people going out. There's some knocking on some doors. You can check it out. Go to their Facebook page, Penridge Democrats, and check them out. Um, but want to thank everybody once again for just having just a, a great night out and um, all for a good cause, um, raised a bunch of money. And uh, you got to give the shout out once to the team that uh, everyone had a team, you know, team name and the team's name Rainbow Unicorns uh, took home the big trophy at the end of the night. Um, they were they were rocking the house. They were rocking the house and stuff. So there you have it. All right, everybody, I wish you all a fantastic weekend. Um, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, thank you to Emily um, for kind of your uh, kind of all, all your, your kind of forever presence, right, uh, on the podcast. It's just fantastic. Um, I wish you all a great weekend. Uh, hopefully the smoke's going to clear out, so uh, we'll have a little bit of downtime. Today is also the last day of school at Penridge, and um, – I'm happy to say that my uh, it's well happy and sad both at the same time, right? It's my son's last day at the at the middle school. He's on the high school next year, um, so it's kind of a big day here locally. So um, uh, congratulations to all the the, the graduates um, from this year. Congratulations to all the teachers for the amazing work that they've been able to do um, in in often difficult situations, given what is happening in our school district. Um, and congratulations to all the students, really, for, um, you know, putting in the work that they've done every single day um, throughout their um, throughout their classes. So there you have it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Um, wish you all well. And um, we'll see you on the flip side on Monday. We'll be back with Ali Shaw talking about uh, big oil lobbyists kind of targeting Pennsylvania for the upcoming elections. There we go. See you Monday at 7, everybody. See ya. I'll fly away now